You know, the scripture tells us that we are born in shape and iniquity, folks, that we enter into this world through the first Adam who sinned and passed sin and death to all of us because of the transgression in the Garden of Eden when God gave the command to Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, yet he ate of it. And the Bible says that uh, he started to die and that he was cursed as a result of it. And uh, the scripture tells us that we all are guilty of the original sin of Adam because from Adam all sin, according to Romans chapter 5, and all die. And the scripture tells us in the Old Testament that we are all born and shaped in iniquity from the original sin of Adam. So because we're guilty of original sin from the head of a race, the only way for us to get free from it is for the head of a spiritual race to come. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us, that Jesus Christ is the second Adam, the Lord from heaven, the life-giving spirit, folks, and that he's the head of a spiritual race, the head of the church, and that because of his resurrection and his sinless life, that he can make many righteous that will believe, just like the first Adam and all from the first Adam die, all that will believe through the second Adam will be made righteous through the sinless life that Jesus Christ lived. And that's what Romans 5 teaches. And I just quoted to you 1 Corinthians 15 about Jesus being the second Adam. Now, it's important to understand that God had Jesus Christ crucified in his mind before the foundation of the world. That's why Revelation 13, 8 and 17, they says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. Why? Because God wanted a relationship with us, but he knew that if he created us to be robots, it wouldn't be a true relationship. If he programmed us to love him and have a relationship with him, it wouldn't be an authentic relationship. And God is relational. So what God did was God created a man named Adam and then out of his rib from the side formed the woman and called her Eve, the mother of all living, okay? And as a result of that, he told them, be fruitful and multiply. And he gave them dominion over the earth. Now remember that dominion over the earth was really for the second Adam who... Uh, purchased the inheritance, the redemption of all things as a result of sin. And as a result of being born again, he freely gives us all things in him. So salvation is a gift of God, folks. It's an inheritance that only a son can get. And because when we come to Christ, we're born of God, then we become sons and daughters of God when we repent of our sin and are spiritually regenerated into Christ through the born-again experience. We receive the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters when we come to Christ for life. And we, as sons and daughters in the literal Son of God, receive the inheritance and are co-heirs with Him. So salvation is an inheritance, folks. It's a gift of God. You cannot get it by works. In fact, the only thing the law does is shows us the knowledge of sin. And because we 
cannot keep the law and be good enough to come to God because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and there's none righteous, no, not one, then it was a schoolmaster to point us to the one who could fulfill it and keep it and then uh, take the enmity, which was the law that was against us and nail it to the tree, the cross. And the Bible says, cursed is every but one who hangs on the cross in the Old Testament. Galatians 3 says that Jesus Christ became the curse for us and took that enmity by living a sinless life and coming in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he had no sin, he knew no sin, and in him there was no sin, there was even no guile found in his mouth. God manifested in the flesh in a body without sin because it was from the sperm of the Holy Spirit and not from the first Adam. He was able to take sin upon his spotless body at the fulfilling the law, qualifying as a spotless sacrifice for our sins, and then was able to die for the sins of all of us and lay his life down because the sin couldn't kill him, folks. He had to lay his life down because he himself had not sinned. But because he had not sinned as well, he was able to take his life back up again and death could not hold him down. And he was able to be the first fruits of the resurrection to be alive forevermore for all of us to have access and uh, boldness to go before the throne of God through him who is alive forevermore. As sons and daughters of God, we can approach God with confidence and with boldness when we come to Christ and we are identified in him through the born-again experience, then we can have that relationship with God as well as sons and daughters of God. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 that if you have the Son, you have the Father. If you have not the Son, you have not the Father. For fellowship with the Father is with the Son. And whenever you have the Son, you don't just have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, but you have fellowship with one another because we are his body when we become born again, folks. So Christ is the head of the church after the resurrection, and we are his body when we're born again and spiritually regenerated into the resurrected person of Jesus Christ and the spirit awaiting the glorification of our bodies, folks, whenever he uh, comes and fulfills all the redemption and uh, has the redeeming of the purchased possession, which was all of us, folks, and is able to make a new heaven and a new earth for us to live in, to be with him forevermore, and we freely receive all things in him. He is our great and exceeding reward, folks. So God wanted a relationship, but God had to allow us to exist. So he created Adam so that we could exist through Adam. So as a result of existing, God was able to show his love for us that while we were yet sinners, God became a man manifested in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And while we were yet sinners, died for us and took the sins of the world upon a spotless body. You see, the cross is sufficient for all sin, but it's only efficient for those that believe, folks. The salvation is for whosoever will come, but it's only going to apply to those that receive it by faith. So the only prerequisite that God has for us is that we believe, folks, so that the that many that would believe he would make righteous. That's Romans chapter 5. Through the first Adam, all have sinned 
and die through that first Adam, but through the second Adam, who lived a righteous life, he made many righteous that would believe, folks. So it's just by believing, folks. It's a gift of God. It is through inheritance, folks. So the only thing that the law could do is show us sin. But when we come to Christ to fulfill the law for us on our behalf, then according to Romans chapter 10, Christ is the end of the law for the believer. So we fulfill the law in Christ when we're born again. And as a result of being born again, this old nature is crucified with Christ and his crucifixion. And as he was raised in the spiritual regeneration, when we're born again, we're raised in the likeness of the resurrection in him. And we become new creations. That's what the Bible teaches, folks. So as a result of becoming a new creation in Christ, the old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. So that old man, that old nature, uh, was crucified with Christ when we were born again. And since we're raised in a newness of life, we're no longer under that old law. The law is for the unregenerated man. It's for the lawbreaker, according to Timothy, which we are no more when we're born again. But we are under the new covenant. Once we're born of God in Christ, we are under grace. That's what the scripture teaches in Galatians. You are no longer under the law. You are under grace now when you come to Christ. So grace, folks, is the favor of God. It's the gift of God. And you can only get it through faith. By faith we are saved through grace. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And Christ has preeminence in all things as a result of creating all things. And then as a result of taking on flesh. And then reclaiming all things that were lost through the fall. By living a righteous life. A sinless life. And then uh, taking the penalty of sin upon a spotless body and reclaiming all things and then rising from the dead that he could have preeminence and being the head of the church and being creator. So he has preeminence over all things, folks. All things are his. So once we die before he returns, if we would perish as believers before he returns, the Bible says to be absent from our bodies is to be present with the Lord until his return again to establish his thousand year millennial reign which is the first resurrection where our bodies will be glorified if we would perish before his return then our bodies would meet our spirits in the sky and be glorified but if he would return and we would still be alive well then our bodies would be instantly glorified folks and then we would uh, rule and reign with him on the earth for a thousand years while the devil's in a pit. And after the thousand years, the devil will be released again. And then the four corners of the earth will come against Jerusalem and fire from heaven will come down, devour the armies of all that come around Jerusalem after the thousand year millennial reign. And that is the battle of Armageddon, folks. And at that point, there'll be the second resurrection, which is before the great white throne judgment where he will separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep are those that are his, and the goats are those that were resurrected that did not believe to judgment. Death and Hades gave up his dead to go before judgment at the uh, great white throne judgment. And everyone's name that was not written in the Lamb's Book of Life 
is going to be cast into a lake of fire, which the Bible says in Revelation is the second death, the death of the soul, folks. And that is annihilation. You see, hell is day and night. You're tormented forever. But day and night forever is until there's no more time. And that's after the great white throne judgment, whenever he creates a new heaven and a new earth, because we will live with him forevermore. So we will uh, be with him forever as eternal spiritual resurrected uh, race. And God is the Father of spirits made perfect in Jesus Christ. That's Hebrews chapter 12. And God is spirit, folks. So the only way for you to receive eternal life is through becoming a spiritual race. Because God is spirit and Christ is the second Adam, the head of a spiritual race, a life-giving spirit. A lot of people don't understand what the new birth is. But I'm explaining it to you. Now, that's what it is, folks. You become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, all old things have passed away and all things become new. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 to 10, that if we acknowledge our sin when we come to Christ, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, past, present, and future unrighteousness. You see, as a believer, folks, your sins aren't held against you anymore, awaiting the great white throne judgment and your glorification. Why? Because God knows the end from the beginning, and no sin is going to surprise him because he's paid for it. So verse 10 says that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who was the propitiation for sin, that pleads our case before the throne continually, and the Greek is saying, I paid for that sin. I paid for that sin. I paid for that sin. You're cleansed of all unrighteousness when you're born again. Constantly before the throne as a reminder, I paid for that sin. And tell your glorification, folks. That's why you only miss the mark whenever you sin as a believer. Now, the difference for a believer and an unbeliever is the unbeliever is outside of Christ, and their penalty for sin is death. And if they die outside of Christ, then they have to pay for their own penalty of sin, which is death. And that's why they get cast in the lake of fire. But if they come to the one who paid for their sins and are crucified and die in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ prior to dying, then Jesus Christ's uh, crucifixion is the actual payment for the sin. That's why it's very important that you become born again before you perish on this earth. And that's why the devil doesn't want anybody to come to Christ because the devil knows that if he can get people to not believe and die in unbelief outside of Christ, they're guilty of their own sin. That's why he comes and snatches the seed of faith away from the person that hears gospel salvation before they can respond to it. That's why people reject it half the time. Because the parable of the sower says, Matthew 13, that the Satan comes and snatches the seed away before they can believe. That's one thing. Another thing it says is because they love the world or they love riches of this world or the elements of this world. There's, there's other reasons why people, uh, or because their consciousness is seared with uh, uh, an iron and they just are so far gone that they, they don't even want salvation. 
So there's many reasons the Bible gives. But when you're born again, it's important to understand that you are under the grace of God and that you will miss the mark. But Christ paid for that sin. That sin has been atoned for. So therefore, it's not held to your account. So that's why it's so important to renew your mind. You see, when you're a believer, you fulfill the law. So it's not about keeping the law. It's about your nature has changed. You've received the DNA of God. You've become a partaker of his divine nature, like First Peter says. And as a result of that, he changes your nature, and you become like him because you're a child of God, and the Spirit lives within you, the Spirit of Christ, who is the anointed one that teaches you all things and guides you in all truth. And you don't want to do those things anymore because he changes your nature. So it's important for a believer to renew their mind once they're born again so that they can change the way of thinking, get rid of the concepts of this world system, get rid of the concepts of the flesh, and to see things from the perspective of the eternal to see things the way God says they are, calling those things that aren't as though they are, declaring over yourself what God declares about you as a child of God. You are his. You are righteous. You are uh, forgiven. You are the apple of his eye. You are sanctified. You are holy. You are perfect in Christ. And you are perfect at the point of salvation. That's why Galatians says, who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians, having begun perfect in the spirit when you were born again. Now you're trying to remain perfect by staying underneath works of the law. Who has bewitched you? Who has cast a spell of witchcraft upon you? You are perfect in Christ. Renew your mind and don't do the things which are offensive because God's changed your nature. You see, all things are lawful. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. But not all things are expedient. All things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. We will limit our, our liberty by love, folks. So the whole point is, is to not allow the deceitfulness of sin to deceive you to the point of unbelief. That's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Or to allow a root of bitterness to come in that can spring up and defile many. You see, it's important to renew your mind, folks. It's the grace of God, folks. It's a gift of God, folks. It is through inheritance. It is through being born again. God has done it all. Philip asked uh, Jesus, what good work must I do, Lord, that I may in inherit eternal life? And he goes, to believe. That is the work. And he goes, Philip, show us the Father. This will suffice. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And what I do, I only do what my Father does, and I only say what my Father says. So whenever he says that believing is the work, that is the work. Just like Hebrew says, Sabbath rest, when we come to Christ, we are seated in Sabbath rest. Every day is Sabbath for the believer, folks, because we cease from our works by resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who was crucified once and for all and is alive forevermore. To and seated at the right hand of God, ceasing in the work. And we are rested in that finished work, that one time glorious work of Christ. So we don't fight for the victory, we fight from the victory of the cross, folks, because He's already forever victorious. 
forever victorious, folks. Now, you'll have battles where you feel like you lose battles and you fall. You just keep getting up because you might not win every battle and character has to be developed and trials and tribulations and testings and hardships so that the spirit of glory can rest upon you so that you become more like him through the seasons. But as a result of that, the spirit of glory rests upon you, folks, and ultimately he wins the war because he's already seated victoriously, rested in the finished work, awaiting the timing of the consummation of all things for the redemption of the purchased possession. At the great white throne judgment, where the new heaven and new earth is going to be established. So, I hope that this gives you some insight. The grace of God, folks, plus nothing equals salvation, folks. You must be born again. Come to Christ, repent of your sins, which means to change your mind, turn away from that old nature of sin, turn to God, reject that old nature, and turn to God, receive the new life Christ offers by repenting and thanking him for dying on the cross for your sins and accepting that sacrifice for sin and making him the Lord and Savior of your life. And you will be saved, folks, by faith alone and receive the grace of God, which is a gift, and through inheritance, have eternal life. So, till next time, this Martin.